morning. I was all prepared in my notes this morning to apologize for the lack of chairs. Because see, usually on prom weekend, half our chairs are gone. So we usually set up benches. But we got here this morning and discovered, well, a lot of the parents and kids that were up all night last night, well, they're not here, but the chairs are. So I'm very thankful that the chairs are here, and I'm thankful that you are here to sit in the chairs. And I'm thankful for opportunities we have to worship as we have today. Um, Ryan, I just want to say thank you for doing the cookbook idea. Um, there will be one section you need to add to that cookbook. It's called Leftovers. Okay? I'll submit all mine in there. How to put it out into the microwave. Hit that button. Okay? Or how to just take the lid off and grab a fork and eat. Okay? Uh, it's a real simple recipe. I'm sure you all enjoy it. Okay? But uh, I love when you have the opportunity to bring the church together and work on things like this and have some fun with it and enjoy that time. Um, here's where we're at right now. We're in uh, the second week of a three-week series on having the right focus. Let me hear you say right focus. Thank you for working with me. Get used to it, okay? Um, so we're going to have that right focus, and there's three encounters after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we're looking in the Gospels, which are the four first books of the New Testament, the stories about Jesus, we look in there, and there are three encounters that people have with the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And in those encounters, they're sort of out of focus, and those people are brought back into having the right focus. And so that's what we're uh, looking at. And last week, we saw how doubt can derail our journey if we're out of focus. This week, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. It's the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And in the book of Luke, chapter 24, we have this next encounter. If you need a Bible, we can bring one to you. Just raise your hand. Mike's already standing up, going back, ready to get that if you need. Wave at him, he'll bring one if you need one. Luke, chapter 24. In Luke, chapter 24, if you, we're going to start around verse 13, but before we do, I, I just want to sort of share this. Um, many of you maybe remember Todd Gongwer. He's the author of Lead for God's Sake. Uh, he was here a little over a year ago, shared with you as a church. Um, he's been around doing many clinics. Um, for you Ohio State fans, the name is familiar because right before the national championship, they interviewed Urban Meyer and he said, what's the big change in your life? He goes, well, I read a book by Todd Gonwer called Lead for God's Sake, and it really impacted my life. And all of a sudden, his name started swirling around there again, and uh, Todd's been on this big circuit traveling now and sharing with people. And um, so I recently listened to him speak at a coach's clinic that we had, and he shared something about called primary focus. Now, here's the thing. If, for example, I'll use sports as an example. It's probably one of my favorite things, okay? Um, when you're at a free throw line shooting a free throw, um, you're probably going to have all kinds of distractions going on around you. You've got fans cheering. You've got maybe the opponent saying something. If you're at a big college game, you'll probably notice fans behind holding up these big fat heads and uh, all kinds of distractions sort of distract the person at the free throw line. Well, you can't get rid of everything in your peripheral vision. You can't get rid of everything and focus on one particular. It's so hard, right? I'm going to have my primary, it's called a primary focus, on the rim but there's still stuff going on around I'll probably see, but I need to have a primary focus. Are you following me on this? 
So take that outside the world of sports into your life, your job, your relationships, and say, in life there needs to be a primary focus, even though you have other things going on around you. Let me give you some examples. Are you focused on the best or your best? Are you focused on the best or your best? Because again, if I'm competing for something, if I'm trying something, here's the thing, I can't control others. So if I'm in competition, I'm going to say, I'm going to be better than them. Well, maybe I'm not better than them. Maybe they're better skilled. Maybe they're a better uh, employee, a better worker. Maybe they're a better singer than me. And I, I can't outdo them, okay? But I can be my best that God created me to be. So my primary focus should probably be then being the best that God's created me to be, and I need to do that. And not try to be better than somebody else that I can't. Or maybe this is a primary focus. You're focused on status and position or influence and impact. Let me explain that. Maybe it's all about, I want a title. I want this position and I want this ranking, right? Is that okay? Well, yeah, but would it be better to say influence and impact? I would like to have this position so that I can make a greater impact in the lives of others. Those are both good things, but which one would be a primary focus? I would say influence and impact. That'd probably be the better focus. Give me a third one. Are you focused on motivation or transformation? Motivation or transformation. I love being motivated. I love trying to motivate others, okay? But is that better than transformation, a life change? I say the primary focus would be transformation. It's okay to be motivated moment by moment, right? But I would rather have life transformation where I'm changed over a long period of time. So there needs to be a primary focus would be transformation. Hopefully you're following me on this, okay? Sometimes we have so many good choices around us, and it's like, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, so what do we do? You need to have a primary focus. This is probably the better of the two choices. I need to focus primarily on that. Now, our primary focus, what I want you to understand then, is what leads us through our journey in life. See, you are where you're at right now because of your primary focus. You have so many things going on in your life. Some of you parents, you know what I'm saying? You've got uh, the number of kids you have. Now multiply that by all the things going on in your life and then multiply that by the things your friends are going on and then your work and all these kind of things in church. And you're thinking, how am I going to do all this? Well, guess what? You are where you're at right now because of what's called your primary focus. That's the journey you have taken. Okay? Uh, Charles Paul Kahn shared this story. And I want you to see how this story helps you understand a wrong focus, a wrong primary focus, can take you away from where God wants you to be. The story goes like this. It's a true story by, uh, by Charles Paul Kahn. He said, when I lived in Atlanta several years ago, I noticed in the yellow pages, in the listing of restaurants, an entry for a place called Church of God Grill. Peculiar name aroused my curiosity. I dialed the number. A man answered with a, with a cheery, hello, Church of God Grill. And I asked, how did that restaurant was given such an unusual name? He told me, well, we had a little mission down here at our church. And so we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay for the bills. Well, people liked the chicken so much that we did such a good business, we eventually decided to cut back on the church service. Then after a while, we actually cut, down, cut out church altogether and just had the chicken dinners. And so we opened up a restaurant. So we kept the name. We started with Church of God Grill. Now, was having chicken dinners after church a bad thing? No, no. But what became their primary focus? The chicken dinners. And then the church fell apart. 
having the wrong primary focus can lead to disaster, can lead to disappointment. You know, it wasn't a bad idea, but we discover in life that when our focus is blurry, when our focus is darkened or distorted or completely misguided, we're going to be disappointed. Sometimes our focus is hindered because our expectations are off. Wrong expectations, again, lead to wrong focus. Pastor Charles Swindoll, I don't know if you've ever had of, heard of Pastor Charles Swindoll. He's one of my favorites to listen to and I've read books with him, uh, or from, by him, not with him. Hey, what do you want to read? Just read together. Okay, that didn't happen. Read his books, not with him. Okay, so in one of his books, he said this, Thanks to blockbuster movies, thrill rides, and Madison Avenue campaigns, we've come to expect that life, that if life isn't sensational, something must be wrong. Think about this. We must be skinny and beautiful, pursue a career that's continually challenging and rewarding, become rich and famous, enjoy a family life that's dynamic and fulfilling. And if we're not careful, we can apply those expectations to our spiritual journey as well and fail to see the hand of God in the ordinary events of life. Even more tragic, we might fail to recognize His gentle teaching in the midst of life's most painful trials. Isn't that true? We see life chasing after like this has to be sensational, this has to be big and, and lights and, and great things and great things. We forget that God's in the ordinary day happenings. Life doesn't have to be all so sensational all the time. Sunday morning, oh, just uh, over 2,000 years ago, the sun rose on what seemed to be the darkest weekend ever. You remember that because you read about it. And one week earlier to that horrible, dark Sunday morning, a week prior, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a road that was covered with palm branches and coats. What an incredible entrance he made into Jerusalem. A symbol of peace. He was an identification of the Messiah coming. He was listening to thousands cheering and applauding and screaming what? Hosanna, Hosanna, which is save us, save us. And those people's expectations at that moment as Jesus rode and seen him ride on that donkey and the fulfillment of prophecy, they thought this, this is the one who would restore faith. This is the one who would enter and usher in a new kingdom. This is the one who would promise abundant life. He's riding in like a king. What an incredible day that was. But a week later, it was a quiet Sunday morning. It was a dark Sunday morning. In a confusing time, Jesus' faithful followers were disappointed, dejected. They wondered what happened. All these prophecies fulfilled, the incredible miracles. It, the teaching, oh, the teaching of Jesus. What an amazing thing. But now, now it seems like there's no new kingdom. Expectations were so high. Hope for change was so real. Now it's gone. Death of a dream. Hope smashed. Bright future, dim. He's gone. Must be done, right? I want you to think about this for a second because this is what happens with us. Things are going so well. 
Things are great, and then all it takes is not even a week later, but it might be a day later where all of a sudden it's lost a job, financial problems, broken relationship. Maybe it's pain or death or unmet goals or being defeated. And yet, that Sunday morning following the death of Jesus, guess what happened? The sun came up. The sun rose. It wasn't the end. Anybody here have a bad day this week? Don't raise your hands, okay? Because we'd all be waving to each other probably, right? Think about this past week. That bad day that you had, let me ask you something. Did the sun come up the next day? It did, didn't it? Praise God, it did. While most of his disciples stayed in Jerusalem, there's a few disciples that said, we're out of here. This is too dark, too dreary, too disappointing for us. Our high expectations have been crushed. Let's go. So two disciples, there are probably a few others as well, but we have an encounter of here of two particular disciples who were disappointed. They felt their dreams were gone, so they left on a seven-mile walk back to Emmaus. Let's pick this story up in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles out of Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Suddenly, Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who he was because God kept them from recognizing him. Verse 17, you seem to be in deep discussion about something, he said. What are you so concerned about? These two disciples are walking along. Uh, they were discussing. Actually, it was more than discussing. It was like a bantering back and forth. The Greek word that's used here is antibalio, which means to go back and forth. If you ever had one of those disappointing moments, uh, maybe, again, it could be in sports, you saw a bad call, the team lost, or you're at work, and your project was dropped, or something happened with a change, um, or relationship, it's like all of a sudden it just fell apart, you're sort of sitting down with another person, sort of going back and forth. What do you think happened here? What, what just took place? I don't know, maybe this is why it all fell apart, or maybe this is why we lost, or maybe this, and there's that sort of going back and forth, you know what I'm saying? This is what these two disciples were doing as they were walking along, talking about the events of Jesus Christ on the cross and his death and his burial. It's supposedly a resurrection. So they're sort of bantering, going back and forth, trying to figure it all out. In this moment, their eyes were divinely prevented from seeing who came alongside them. God kept them from seeing this. They just thought another man caught up them, was looking for conversation, like, oh, hey, the guy, they join us. We're just walking, having a discussion here, tossing back and forth, trying to figure this whole thing out. Luke already knows, and you think about this, Luke is the author here. He already knows what happened. We know who's walking beside him, right? Hashtag Jesus by my side, okay, right, okay? But those disciples have no clue whatsoever, which makes the story very interesting for us as readers, right? They're having this bantering, seeking time, trying to figure out why this happened, some stranger cuts in, and not only is he cut into the conversation, but he adds to the fact that this guy must be living in a cave because he has no clue what's happening. Everybody knows what's going on, except this guy, really? Where have you been? Words out all over the streets. Look at verse 17. They stop short. Sadness written all over their faces, it said. 
Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that happened here the last few days. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see the, how these men are described? First of all, the, the, the sadness written all over their faces. Okay, it's obvious these guys are hurting. And you see how hurt they are with disappointment when he's, they're like, where have you been? You must be the only person in Jerusalem. Really? Like, duh? These guys are hurting. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't ridicule. He's like, hey, hey, I'm Jesus. Come on. He doesn't do that, does he? What does he do? He continues to walk with them in their disappointments and listen. Go ahead. Keep going. Keep sharing. Sure, with me what's going on. He absolutely knows, he, he absolutely knows what went on, right? Because he's who? He's Jesus. He's the one who was crucified and buried. He's the one who rose from the dead. But he allows these men to share their, their pain and dis disappointment. It's as if, you know what, I want you to express your disappointment. Don't bottle it up. Let it out. Let it out. Matter of fact, I'm just going to play along with you here. Look what happens now in verse 19. Jesus says, what things? What are you guys talking about? Then they continue. Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. Verse 20. But our leading priests and the other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death. They crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah. We we'd hoped he'd come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Hope for, wait a second, wait a second. Hope for, hope for what? What were these disciples hoping for? To rescue Israel, right? Economic prosperity, maybe political gain. Is, is that what they hoped for? Didn't they realize that Jesus came for more than that? Their expectations were out of focus. This is what I'm talking about. Their primary focus wasn't anywhere near there. They're thinking economic prosperity, political power. Oh, he's going to teach great things. King, remember King David and what we long for those days of a mighty king? That's Jesus. That was their expectations were right over here. But Jesus says, that's not why I came. Right? Those things, those, those things may happen, but they're looking for the wrong thing. So when Jesus is put to death, guess what happens to their expectations? Their expectations are put to death as well. See, failed expectations lead to disappointment. If you came, let me give you an example. You came here this morning expecting something, right? And if it doesn't happen, guess what happens? You're disappointed because of your expectations. Maybe you had expectations for something great to happen this past week. It didn't happen. Guess how you felt this week? Disappointed. It's a simple thing, right? He continues. Let's read on here, verse 22. Some of the women from our group of followers were at his tomb early that morning. They came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea. Sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women said. Now, it's at this point in time, okay, work with me here, okay? Are any of you wanting to say anything? I mean, if this was, if you were walking with them, and you know Jesus is walking with them, don't you want to say something about right now? I mean, isn't like, like you're just sitting there like, he is risen, he's right there with you. If you're reading a story, don't you want to say to these two disciples, Jesus is with you, he's alive. None of you are like that right now? You are boring people, 
okay? Please tell me, please tell me, work with me here, okay? Please tell me that if you ever watch a scary movie or a mystery movie, please tell me there's some of you in this room that sit there and you're sitting there watching and you're like, he did it. Don't go out there. Don't go in with him. Oh, no. Is there anybody in here like this? Let's do a show of hands. Anybody like that? You talk back to the TV or the movies. Thank you. Good. Sometimes I feel so abnormal up here. Don't answer that. Don't say anything of that. Okay. Um, I, I remember going to the movie theaters back in college. Okay. Now, growing up in high school, you have to understand. I grew up in, I grew up in a very, um, I'm not going to say strict, but there's just certain ways we did things. Okay. Like the prom. Okay. I went to the prom one year, and I thought that was a big thing because we don't dance, okay? I'd seen Footloose on TV, okay? I saw that guy slide across the floor, you know, and that girl's daddy was a preacher, and I'm thinking, well, my grandpa's a preacher, and I, my dad's an elder, and we don't do that kind of stuff, but I went to prom. I, see, I ripped a hole in my pants sliding across the floor. I tried to be Kevin Bacon and do the Footloose, you know, and I got up and go, oh, no. Um, so my prom days were cut short. My dancing was cut short. Um, there's a reason why God said you shouldn't dance. Thou shalt not dance, Rex. It's a commandment somewhere. I don't know. But anyway, movies was another thing we didn't go to. We didn't go to the movie theater. Kids, close your ears. Okay? One night, Pastor Rex um, skipped church on a Sunday night. I don't know. I was like, I knew I was going to go to hell for sure after that one. Um, but I skipped and I went to a movie. Oh, dude, I get in trouble big time. Kids, I'm telling you right now, it was not worth it. Not worth it, okay? That's, I just, I'm sharing that with you because I want to know the kind of house I grew up in, okay? And that was good. I'm so thankful. Let me tell you something. I'm so thankful for the church I grew up in. I'm so thankful for it. Um, the scriptures I learned, the things I've learned. You know what? I'm going to tell you right now. Living in that kind of house, guess what I missed? Nothing. I didn't miss out on anything. I'm so thankful for that, okay? But I want you to understand, because I didn't go to the movie theater, so when I went to college, I went to the movie theater, and, and I'm sitting there, and in the movie, that one that I did skip out of, okay, and I went to go see uh, another one, I would see Star Wars or something like that, okay, yeah, that dated me. Um, so nobody talks in those movie theaters, right? Nobody talked in our church, like this church, okay? Uh, there's no talking back to the pastor, there's no amen, and, you know, there's sort of quiet, you all sort of observe, okay, I got you. So I'm sitting in the movie theater, and I can't remember what it was, but everybody in that theater talked. I'm just sitting there and just watching the movie and all of a sudden like, oh, you will not. I will not what? Don't go in there. I'm not going. Who are you talking to? Now, everybody's like talking up to the movie screen. It's like, do they realize that's a movie screen? They can't hear you, okay? But I was surrounded by people that wanted to talk back, okay? I'm way off track. Let me get my primary focus back on Scripture, okay? The whole point of why I'm saying this is as I'm reading this right now, we have the incredible opportunity right now of knowing Scripture. They didn't have that. These two disciples walked in pain with Jesus, not even knowing that Jesus was there. We have the incredible privilege, thank you to Scripture, thank you to what God has written, that we can look into this, and we, that's why I'm saying, I want to sit here and say, guys, he's right there with you. He's right, don't you see it? It's like, duh, right? But how many times have we walked in pain and disappointment not realizing, guess what? Jesus is right there with us. We want to talk back to these things so much, but at the same time, do we not want to hear the truth being spoken to us? He's right there with us. They had the facts. Nevertheless, they lacked the ability to see what was plainly visible before them. The truth uh, was out of focus for them. 
And when you're out of focus and living the truth, guess what? That leads to wrong actions. Wrong actions hurt, right? So what was wrong with their focus? Here's, let me give you some, some three things here real quick. First thing with their focus was they lacked the spiritual dimension. Therefore, all they saw was the human understanding of the events. They lacked the spiritual dimension. All they saw was Jesus Christ. What do they call him? A prophet, right? Notice how Cleophas characterized Jesus. There's no divine involvement here. No son of man, no son of God. It was, here's a great prophet who did powerful miracles. What else do you call him? A mighty teacher. Look back in those scripture verses. Religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. There's no spiritual divine intervention there at all. It's all human-related events. But what is truth? Religious leaders handed, over more to G, handed Jesus over, right? Wrong. John 19.11, we'll throw two scriptures on the screen here. John 19.11, Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless what? Unless it's been given to you from above. Jesus didn't get handed over by the religious leaders and Pilate. That was part of God's plan. Acts 2, 22 and 23 says this, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew that what, what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Jesus wasn't just being taken over by human beings, by the religious leaders, by Pilate, by the law. There was a divine plan by God, which Jesus would go to the cross. Listen very carefully. God is not the author of evil, and he never promotes or condones sin. Nothing, can, nothing happens without God's sovereign oversight, okay? Others may choose to do evil deeds to us, and God's people may suffer in short term, but his will, but he will, I'm sorry, he will transform those evil moments, those evil intentions of evil people into opportunities for God to show up in the enrichment of those who care. Trust me, I've been there. Through injury in my life or insult in my life, I've seen God work. See, we have the choice in those moments to place our primary focus on obstacle or opportunity, on hurt or the healer, on the anger or the almighty. We have the choice in those moments to place our primary focus on the one who's come to save us, on our almighty God. And when life is no longer fun and life is no longer sensational or fantastic, when our expectations start to fall apart and our dreams shatter, it's very easy to slide into a slump, isn't it? I don't go to church anymore. I don't, my life just blah, 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 right? Circumstances what? Become our taskmaster, right? All of a sudden, it's everything that happens to us directs us. We allow circumstances to take over and say, well, I guess this happened to me. So we allow those circumstances to define who we are. And we forget we are children of God. When we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and His Spirit comes into our life, we are new. And as new people of God, we are not what our circumstances make us. We're not defined that way. But when we look at our circumstances, our primary focus is out of whack. Let me tell you something. God is here. God is here. Look at the person next to you and say, God is here. Tell them. 
Walter Mayer shared this story about a shipwrecked man. He made it to this uninhabited island. When he got to this uninhabited island, here to protect himself against the elements, he, he built himself a makeshift shelter, the best he could do, a little hut, right? Salvaged everything he had. And he constantly and he prayerfully would sort of scan the horizon looking for an approaching ship every day, trying to find a way to be rescued from the, off this island. One night, he went out searching for food, came back, and when he came back, his hut was on fire. All the stuff burned. Completely destroyed, thinking, what's going to happen now? But I want you to understand how this, uh, by divine mercy, this affliction, this problem, these rotten circumstances, actually changed into a mighty advantage. And here's how it happened. Early the following morning, he woke up laying beside his burnt-down hut, and looked out and saw a ship anchored out off the coast. And then coming on this little lifeboat, the captain stepped out of the boat onto the shore, and he explained, we saw your smoke signal and came. That wasn't a smoke signal. That was my house burning down. But it was a smoke signal to the captain, and he was rescued. See, everything the marooned man owned had to be destroyed before he was rescued. And so many times in our lives, we hold on to stuff. Because isn't this the way life is supposed to be? And when all of a sudden our stuff is destroyed, we're distraught and concerned. But you know what? Until maybe our stuff is destroyed, our almighty God and captain will not arrive to rescue us. Do you ever see that in your life? Everything you have shattered, brought down in order to God rescue you. Psalm chapter 138, verses 7 and 8 says this. Though I'm surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand and the power of your right hand saves me. The Lord will work out, listen, the Lord will work out His plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. And yet God allows us to walk in sadness and disappointment like those two disciples, right? Why? See, we see in the story, Jesus prevents these disciples from seeing him and knowing he's present, right? He's there. But there's more that needs to be done before Jesus brings about the right focus. Let's read on. Luke chapter 24, verse 25. Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scriptures... Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? When Jesus took them then, I'm sorry, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. Would that have been awesome to be walking with Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus, and for him to start speaking his word from the Old Testament? Remember, Cleopas had his own agenda. Remember this? He shared in verse 21. If you look back at verse 21, he said what? We hoped for the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. We're waiting for that king to come riding in, right? They're living out of focus because their expectations were out of focus and distorted. And most of these people were longing for the, the glory days of King David and, and a victorious empire. And, but Jesus came to do more than that, but they weren't expecting that. What Jesus was going to do and what we hoped for were two different things. You know, we will someday have a new kingdom, and Jesus will rule. He will make all things new. We will be freed from the bondage of sin. 
and we will see a recreated world. It'll be incredible, right? New kingdom, new relationship with God. But pause for a second and ask yourself a few questions. What are you clinging on to right now in your life? Do you have such high expectations for? What future have you determined for yourself? They were your plans, right? What have you been holding on to? Let me ask you this. You're going to hang your head and walk away when your dreams get shattered and your plans don't come through? You're going to ask, where's God at? Because see, these two followers undoubtedly felt that God had left them alone in their shattered dreams. So they, they, they chose to do what? Walk away from Jesus. Which is sort of crazy because it was their pain that kept them from seeking Jesus, and it's usually our pain that should wake us up to Jesus. Maybe we need to release our expectations and allow God to bring things back into focus. So Jesus takes them through scriptures, starting with Genesis, goes through the poems, and then the prophets, and all the prophecies were given. He showed them how the sacrificial death of the Messiah was required to defeat evil. Man, it must have been a long walk, so he had a lot of scripture to share with them. What an incredible time that would have been. As they approached the town of Emmaus, the two disciples were still intrigued. They said, Jesus, why don't you come in? Or they didn't know Jesus. Why don't you come in with us and uh, come into our house? Eat with us. Stay with us. So they welcomed in this stranger. That was customary back in that time to do. Look at verse 28. By the time they were nearing Emmaus, the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if uh, they, he was going to go on. They begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. You know, they lacked a spiritual dimension, right? Remember? They lacked a spiritual dimension. They saw the facts, okay? Their own agenda determined their expectations. We expect this big king. We didn't expect Jesus to be the true Messiah. And finally, their focus is obscured because they failed to acknowledge the resurrection. This is the third problem they had. They failed, they failed to acknowledge the resurrection. They heard all the reports. They had the facts. They just simply refused to believe. Remember how they talked earlier in verses, uh, I think it was 22, 24, the women from our group, they went to the tomb. They came back to talk about an angel they saw. The disciples went. They found an empty grave. Those are all facts. Let me ask you something. Did these two disciples truly believe those facts? Yes or no? No. Because if they really believed it, why are they walking away from Jerusalem and not walking to Jerusalem? See, if they really believed the resurrection, they would have went a different direction. Their lack of faith affected everything. They should have been walking back towards Jerusalem where Jesus was last seen. And second, they would have accepted the trials, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as something he had promised, which he told about, which we talked about last week. Their discussion continued and the evening meal was prepared. And we, if we read on, this is what we see, verse 30. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread, blessed it. They broke it, gave it to him. Suddenly their eyes were open. They recognized and at that moment... He disappeared. Their eyes were completely open. They fully comprehended who Jesus was. It wasn't like, hey, look, it's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus, the Messiah. It wasn't just recognizing his features. It was recognizing who he was and is. What a moment when their eyes are opened up. The significance of the Messiah, the suffering servant, 
the Son of God, the risen Lord. They now see it. They now get it. It's Him. He's alive. Just as He promised. Just as the Scriptures that He just shared with us the whole time. They said to each other, look at verse 32. Didn't our hearts burn within us as He talked with us on the road and explained the Scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them. They said, the Lord has really risen. Has arisen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two of Emmaus told their story of how Jesus appeared to them as they were walking on the road. They got back. They were so excited. Listen, we just saw him. He appeared to us. And he shared everything that happened. Church, we walk our way through life every day with all kinds of expectations. Right? We've got school. We've got work. We've got job. We've got uh, different things going on, maybe even in ministry. I mean, e even for... Uh, Pastor Ben and Pastor Landon, for Sarah, and in ministry, they go to the office or they come in thinking, this is the way ministry is supposed to be. This is the way work should be. This is the way our life is supposed to be. Then something happens and it upsets our journey or it shatters our journey. And we start thinking, what is going on? We feel alone, disappointed. Our focus is darkened, distracted. Our circumstances that are now around us become what? Our primary focus. Our primary focus, which is on Jesus Christ living from now, it gets sidetracked and we're looking everywhere else except where we should be looking. It's in those moments, church, I want to encourage you to do three things and we'll close on these three things. Here's the first thing, and that is this. Choose to view life through God's eyes. Choose to view life through God's eyes. Take a heavenly perspective. You know, this isn't easy because it doesn't come natural for us, right? We see life through everything else that's going on around us and everybody else's opinion. Choose to see it through God's eyes. We can't do it on our own. Do what the disciples from Emmaus did. Start in God's Word. Get into a daily reading plan. Pray and ask, God, transform my thinking. Transform and renew my mind. Let Him do what we can't do. God has a plan for me. God has a plan for me. You've got to start being able to say that with confidence. After Colin's first surgery, and then the second surgery, and then a fractured arm, and then another surgery, and then a fractured hip, I was out of words for Colin. I really was. I was like, I don't know what else to tell you anymore. I was trying to be Mr. Motivator, Big Daddy, you know, let me help you out, son. I was, I was out of words. So I don't know if I can tell you to hang in there anymore. You know what he said to me? back in eighth grade. It's all right, Dad. God's got a plan for me. God's got a plan for me. And I've hung on to that to remind myself because it was the same words my dad had when he was in the hospital when he lost his thumb, first finger, and middle finger in an accident. And I was mad at God. Why is this happening to Dad? Right? And what does Dad say? It's all right. God's got a plan for me. We need to start viewing life through God's eyes. He's got a plan for us. Here's the second thing. Surrender your expectations. We're going to have trials, okay? It's going to happen. And wrong focus is to believe that we live in a happy ever after life. Oh, life is so good. It's good. Who told you that? That's not true. But we try to live that kind of life thinking it's going to be that way. Here's the reality of it. Surrender those expectations. Life is not always going to be happy. It's not always going to be fantastic. Grief is essentially the process of adjusting our mind to a radically new situation in life. The sooner we accept it, that you're not going to get your way, guess what? The sooner you're going to heal and even better. 
let go resentments. Release your grip on what you want. No matter how good or right you think it is, surrender your expectations. Ask God to show you his plan. Psalm 46, 8 through 10 says this. And I'm going to read this from the Message Bible, okay? Because there's a part of it that I just love. Attention all. See the marvels of God. He plants flowers and trees all over the earth, bans wars from pole to pole, breaks all the weapons across his knee. Listen to this. We read it as, be still and know that I am God. The message says it like this. Step out of the traffic. Take a long look around. Look at me, your God. High above. Above politics, above everything. Isn't that good? Step out of the traffic, will you? And look at the most high God. Finally, acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus Christ and stake your future upon it. The resurrection happened. Yeah, we celebrated at Easter, but we only talk about it at Easter. We need to talk about it all the time because it happened and it is true. The death of Jesus conquered sin, overcame death's finality. His resurrection gives us life, gives us hope, gives us reason every day to wake up and say, God is alive. God is alive and so am I. God, what do you have for me today? I surrender my expectations. See you today, God. Listen, as you are walking like those disciples who walked in disappointment, know this, you're not walking alone. Jesus walks with you. Jesus walks with you. Open your eyes. See he is there with you. Get the right focus. Would you please stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we sang a song earlier to you. By the Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We sang that, and Lord, I pray we meant it. Because I think about these disciples as they walked in their journey of life through disappointment. Some of us walked in here this morning with expectations that maybe weren't the right expectations. We forget, God, that you walk with us. And you want to help us see what is real, what is true. That the resurrection was true. And that you walk with us. God, I'm going to pray right now for us that we have hearts like these disciples after their eyes were opened. And that is that we welcome you into our homes. We ask you to eat with us to stay with us in the midst of pain that we may have, to heal that pain, for us to let go of our plans and our agendas, say, God, where do you want to go today? God, am I going in the right direction today? Oh, if I'm not, put me on the right path, God. And if we're dealing right now with hurt, pain, disappointment because of some, something didn't go the way we thought it was going to be. God, speak to us right now. Let us know it's going to be okay because you're with us. That dream might be shattered. That was our dream, but maybe that wasn't your dream for us. You've got a plan for us, God. We want to walk with you. So God, I thank you for helping us get the right focus today. That right focus is our eyes back on you. The resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, what he did for us. 
right focus, God, and knowing that it's not about us and our plans or happily ever after life, but a life that is strengthened as maybe we go through rough times. Endurance and perseverance. Thank you, God, for the hope you give. I thank you for everyone that's here today. Because together we get to share in the singing of songs, the reading of scripture, and a time of prayer. I couldn't have done, I couldn't have done this at home. I couldn't have done this in a car. So I thank you for this moment we've had today at this church to do this. Lord, we're going to sing to you now. We love you. We praise you for who you are. In our name we pray. Amen.